covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast, powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Thank you so much for being tuned in with us. It's been an interesting week specifically related to the Brewers' reported pursuit of Justin Turner. We're going to talk a lot about that on this week's podcast. Before we get to anything else, our normal housekeeping items, also known as the part of the podcast where you maybe press the plus 30 on your podcast player. If you want to get in contact with me, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. If you listen to the podcast on Apple Podcast and can subscribe and also uh, leave a ranking and review, that would very much be appreciated. All right, here's what's coming up uh, this week on the podcast. Back on. It's been like a year since we've had him on, and that's just a its a bad job by me. I have no idea what led to it uh, taking this long for me to uh, invite him back on because he's one of my favorite people to be able to talk to, and I really enjoy our conversations. He is the uh, former editor at BP Milwaukee. He now uh, has his own site that he's uh, doing things on, and you can read him, of course, uh, everything he does on uh, Twitter. Uh, Nicholas Zettel is going to be back with us, uh, and he's going to join us in uh, just a few minutes on the podcast. Do you want to give you my thoughts on the way things went down with Justin Turner? And I'll be honest with you. So the Brewers keep things really close to the vest. I was thinking about this, and I'm sure there's a great example that's not coming to my head right now. And you can uh, you can certainly correct me on this at Matt Pauley on air. But I, I've just been trying to think about when any type of notable free agent that the Brewers signed from outside of the organization where there was a lot of reporting about it prior to it actually happening. It just doesn't happen very often. I, there, I don't remember there being a lot of reporting about Lorenzo Cain. I don't remember there being a lot of reporting about, yes, Monty Grandall. I just don't. And I guess I could go back through old Twitter feeds and do a Twitter advanced search and see what was out there prior to uh, them signing. But it just it feels like it. maybe I'm being a prisoner of the moment. But when when the reports started coming out that the Brewers were legitimately in on Turner and were offering him money that was very similar to what the Dodgers were offering him, it kind of reminded me of what went down with you, Darvish. And I don't think it's an apples-to-apples comparison because I do absolutely think there was... I, I think their pursuit of Justin Turner was a lot more than any reported pursuit of you, Darvish a few years ago. So let me say that first. But when, there were there were rumblings out there that the Brewers had offered Darvish a deal. And as time has gone by, it just seems like that was more coming from the agent and that was more being used as a way to leverage more money for Darvish. It After it all got done with, it never really felt like the Brewers were really in the running. I, I don't know if it's going to feel that way with Turner. A lot of people feel like he was using the Brewers to try to up the price tag on the Dodgers, who he was always going to sign with. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not true. If it is true, like it stinks for Brewers fans, uh, it it stinks for the Brewers organization that maybe they were taken for a little bit of a ride. If that's the case, but at the same time, I'm never going to begrudge somebody for being able to make money. And let's be honest, I mean Turner, uh, this is probably going to be even though it's just a two year deal that he signed with the Dodgers. This is probably going to be his last multi year deal. 
He's a little bit older now. He doesn't have a ton of money left in his big league career. So I'm not going to begrudge the guy for doing what he needs to do to be able to maximize his contract. But when the rumbling started coming out, with the, when, when the Heymans and the other insiders started talking about the Brewers really being in on him, I, at that point, I, it, it felt like I felt worse about it, which is a weird thing. I felt worse about it, though, because I feel like when the Brewers make those moves, they're very stealthy. And all of a sudden, when national baseball insiders are talking about the Brewers' interest in a player, it's not stealthy anymore and I, I just I didn't feel as good about it uh, I, I don't think there are people inside the Brewers organization that are really letting a lot go so if those details are coming out those details are coming from Turner's agent I would think that would be my that would be my only thought unless all of a sudden there's somebody in the organization now that's talking to to these insiders but in the David Stern's era of Brewers baseball there just hasn't been a lot that has come out of the Brewers' front office, and they don't negotiate through the media generally. So I didn't feel great about it. But since then, the details came out that basically the Brewers offered the same contract as the Dodgers, and the taxes are a little bit lower in Wisconsin, so we would have seen more money on that deal playing for the Brewers. And also they reportedly offered a second deal that added on a third year but lowered the annual average value. Says a couple things. Uh, First off, assuming that's all true, and we're just going to go on the premise that that's all true because there's no way to know it's not true. Uh, Shows the Brewers' willingness to expand payroll. Now, one thing we don't know is how much of that money would have been deferred. For example, the Colton Wong deal, a significant amount of money is deferred as they try to limit their cost this year. We don't know whether or not there was a fair amount of deferred money in what they were going to give to Turner, but it does show their their willingness to add payroll. There was a Ken Rosenthal report that said that Mark Atanasio was intrigued by Turner, so I have to think that that kind of offer would have probably expanded payroll beyond what the Brewers were planning this year, but that Atanasio maybe approved it. He has the track record of when there are opportunities to add to the team in a meaningful way that will cost money that he will approve those. That is something he has done throughout uh, his tenure as the owner of the club. So it shows that. Um, It shows they still have a little bit of money to spend, even if they were only going to expand the payroll significantly for a player uh, like a Justin Turner. It certainly shows that if there is somebody still out there, if there is a trade to be had that would increase payroll, that it's there. We, We don't know the details of it, but it's there. And that's probably a good thing as well. And the third base situation remains unresolved. You got some internal candidates and Daniel Robertson and Luis Urias. There, there are still a lot of free agents out there that can play third. Don't know if any of them are everyday third baseman kind of guys. Justin Turner was probably really the last difference-making third baseman that was out there on the free agent market. Uh, but I think the most important thing here is that it does show that if the right deal presents itself the Brewers are not done, that they still have uh, at least some room to be able to uh, to add payroll. And it's not their fault that Justin Turner had the same contract offer, which actually was a little bit of a richer contract in Milwaukee because of taxes, and still decided to return to Los Angeles. I There are people out there, and 
I, there's people out there who are going to be very critical of the club and the decisions they make, and I think those people tend to be people that are more often than not more negative than positive. At the same time, though, we can all admit that the moves that were made last offseason by the Brewers really were not great moves in terms of the people that they brought into the organization. Last offseason was not a great offseason for the Brewers. I think this offseason has already been better just simply by the addition uh, of Colton Wong, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. Thought it was interesting that uh, Justin Turner, that the offer was that legit because – after Colton Wong was signed, you felt like that was it. Like that was it in terms of moves of significance. Not that they weren't going to add to the roster still. They probably still will. But when we're talking about significant core changing moves, and when I say core changing, maybe core adding moves, players that are really adding to the core of your team, you didn't think there were going to be more in there. And that would have been it. That that would have been a, a big move for this team. I do think most importantly – Look, I I think there's going to be a lot of players available via trade this year. We see most Major League Baseball teams right now trying to shed salary. And just because the first pitch is thrown on opening day does not mean that teams are no longer going to be trying to shed salary. Not that much is going to change. Now, maybe if we get to a better public health situation and more and more fans are making their way in, or if somehow Major League Baseball comes to an agreement with players on the expanded playoffs so that guarantees some more revenue at the end of the year, maybe at that point things would change a little bit in terms of teams wanting to shed salary. But as it sits right now, I think over half the teams in baseball, and maybe even significantly more than half the teams in baseball, are actively looking for ways to lower their payroll and maybe the Brewers are going to be able to take advantage of that. Maybe that's where, if if they go into the season and a tandem of Daniel Robertson and Luis Urias over at third base just doesn't work, maybe that's where the opportunity to really add to third base is going to, uh, is going to be. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see how that's all going to play out. All right, uh, on this week's podcast, our featured conversation. We have not had him on in a while. We're very happy to have him back today. Uh, Former editor at BP Milwaukee. He uh, is now writing on his own on a uh, medium site that can be uh, found off of his uh, Twitter feed, which is at SpectiveWax. If you don't have a Twitter feed, I could tell you that uh, to type in the website, it's industry dump media.com and then you do slash uh, Milwaukee dash Brewers and the reason that is is because he is a well-rounded individual who talks about and writes about a lot more than just the Brewers and it's all under that uh, under that one site the industry dump site so uh, if you just want his Brewers material and not that you can't check out his other material but if you just want his Brewers material the slash Milwaukee dash Brewers but again the easiest way even if you don't have Twitter you can go to twitter.com slash wax and his, uh, you can still see his tweets and his pinned tweet goes right to that so that's probably the easier way to uh, find his work he is uh, Nicholas Zettel let's get to him in this week's featured conversation after every Brewers game signing an announcement bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take now we bring them all together it's the social media roundtable and it starts now Brewers Extrains, the podcast, is powered by WTMJ Mobile. We welcome somebody back on the podcast who it's been incredibly way too long since we uh, last had him on. Uh, you can read him. He's got uh, he's got a Medium site available now. 
uh, at industry-dump.media.com, and then he's got a brewer section to it. It might just be easier to get to it by going to his Twitter account first, uh, which is at Wax. Right now, he has uh, his uh, most recent work as a pen tweet, and you should certainly check it out. And uh, what he recently wrote about is what we're going to talk about first, uh, but it is uh, Nicholas Edel, also the uh, former editor of uh, what was BP Milwaukee. Nick, always great to talk to you. Sorry it's been so long. How are you doing? Matt, it's so great. It's so great to talk to you, stranger. I, I'm hanging in there. Um, I'm just, I, uh, I, I feel like this is really serendipitous that that the week that uh, baseball projects the Brewers to win the division, you're you're having me on your show. So I am, uh, I'm really excited to be back. Okay, so let me ask you something because I, um, uh, I've always said, and I guess, and you're a great guy to answer this question. Um, I've always said Picota. And somebody corrected me this past week and said the correct pronunciation of it is Picota. Have I been saying it wrong? Is it Picota and not Picota? I never, I guess I've never had that debate. I've always heard it as Picota, but okay. I, uh, I, I, that's, I, that's just stumping me right there. That's, that's wild that, that someone would debate you on that. But yeah, I guess I, I've always said Picota myself. Well, I live in Wisconsin where we have. Pewaukee and Kewaskum and Kiwani, you know, play, so I, I just take that E and I just stretch it out. I guess that's what I do. Go. So the, I'm gonna have to relearn. Wisconsin accent. Hey, you gotta you gotta melt that thing wherever you can. I, I don't blame you. <laughs> I've lived in Wisconsin for six years, and I think that's the only part of it that maybe I've uh, that I've picked up at this point. Welcome. Well, now you're a Wisconsinite for life. We'll <laughs> we'll never get rid of you. It's always Picota. It'll always be Picota, as far as I'm concerned. Um, <laughs> It's. I, I find it interesting. So you, in your most recent uh, piece, you talk about the Brewers kind of being in the middle and, and what the, they're not in a rebuild. At the same time, they don't feel like a championship-level club. And I find that to be true and even more interesting just a day after we learned that they had a legit offer in there for, for Justin Turner, about the same money that he was going to get from the Dodgers. They even reportedly offered him uh, a year, uh, an offer that had a year longer than the Dodgers' offer with a little bit of a lower uh, annual average value. I don't know if Justin Turner turns the Brewers into a championship team, but I I don't know. I just I saw a connection between the two because I think you're right. Like this is a team that is absolutely a playoff contender, even built the way they're built right now. But at the same time, it's hard to see this team winning a World Series at any point in the near future when you've got the Dodgers with what they're able to do. And you look at the the Padres and you look at the Braves and you look at the Yankees. I mean, there's just so many, there's a lot of teams that seem like they're in front of that line right now. So that, that middle thing that you wrote about is, is kind of interesting. And I feel like it's even more so uh, when Justin Turner turns the team down. Yeah. The Justin Turner deal was interesting because there's a lot of people I respect in the Brewers um, writing in the Brewers world, um, especially on Twitter where, there were a lot of folks saying that they thought that Justin Turner was just using the Brewers as leverage. But, but I got to say, when I heard about that third year that the Brewers were offering, um, it really honestly sounds like they made an honest go that they made an honest go of, of at Turner. So, so even if, you know, I, I don't fault anyone who's, who's using their bargaining position, you know, in an advantageous way. So I, I would never fault Turner for doing that if that's what he was doing. But I got to be honest with these professionals, you got to, 
you got to wonder that uh, a person of his age was probably considering that third year a little bit, right? So yeah. it, it seems like, you know, I would really love to know how close it actually was. I hope I hope some behind-the-scenes stuff leaks out about that, because I, I think when, when I heard about that third year, I thought, oh, the Brewers really did something legitimate here, because I think I, a lot of us expected that maybe – Maybe it was going to be a one-year deal with really, really high value. But um, I was honestly pleased to see the Brewers offer that that third year. So it's a real. It, it, I, I actually really enjoyed following that whole, whole thing, if I can be honest. So this this could sound kind of funny. I actually got more pessimistic about the opportunity for Turner when it got reported that there was a legit offer out there because. It reminded me of the U Darvish situation, where there was reports out there that the Brewers had given an offer to Darvish, and then as more time has passed by, it really does seem like that maybe there was an offer and Darvish absolutely was using the Brewers to try to uh, get more money, and he did so out of the Cubs. And there's just there's never a leak coming out of the Brewers' front office. So anytime there's a report about them yeah. offering a contract, it's coming from an agent or some from somebody else that has some sort of um, – some some agenda. So when it was reported about the offer out there, I actually felt less good about the fact. It just reminded me of you, Darvish, once again. Yeah, I, I think that's actually a really good argument, and I I, I think that's a really good point that uh, um, that that Stearns really is close, super close lipped about um, what the Brewers are doing. So yeah, I, I I'm gonna have to consider that carefully. I, I think that's a pretty good point. So this, David. Speaking of David Stearns, and again going back to what you recently wrote, Stearns has always said like the the idea of what he's trying to produce in Milwaukee is a team that is contending for the postseason on an every year basis. And if you do that, if if you get into the postseason year after year after year. At, at some point in time, either you're going to go in on a hot streak or you're going to have some young players who all you know hit their, their best at the exact same moment. And if you just give yourself enough chances in the postseason, eventually that's going to turn into, into a World Series championship. And in a way, the Rays kind of do the same thing. They, they, they just want to be mm-hmm. competitive and get in, and they're not going to spend a ton of money. So it's – I. For a team like that, I think I actually think for the fans, it's better that way because you're not going through these years of total rebuild just to go all in over a one or two year period. Where if you don't win the World Series, maybe it's seven, eight, nine years of like putting everything in, and you have a couple playoff appearances to show for it, and, and nothing yep. more. But at the same time, mm-hmm. it does seem to make it more challenging to actually win the World Series. You know, I think about that a lot, and there's some rebuilds going on right now where you got to look at it and really say, everyone assumes you're going to be the Houston Astros, right? Everyone looks at the Chicago Cubs and the Houston Astros. They say, wow, both those organizations really tore down their rosters. They did a true rebuild, top to bottom. They did the whole organization. Bam, they won World Series. You know, they did, they, they had... Uh, teams that got to the league championship series each year for, for a couple of years. And so I, I think people always think about that. But look at what just happened with the Rockies. The Rockies had a big rebuild attempt, and they just shipped off Nolan Arenado um, to the Cardinals for peanuts. Um, look at the Pittsburgh Pirates. The Pirates have been rebuilding for ages, you know, after, you know, they did a full, again, a full organizational teardown. They did top to bottom. 
and they they just basically had those two years out of it that that were great, and then now they're rebuilding again. So I actually when I should always preface that whenever I'm critical of Stearns, I'm I'm still respectful of what he's doing. I still ultimately agree with with the idea of aiming for the middle. Um, uh, Doug Melvin did that very well. I think Melvin deserves a lot of credit for how he built the club um, for year year after year, always trying to get the Brewers in a competitive spot. And um, then it's just for me, it's just a matter of like, do you agree or disagree with individual moves? And and quite frankly, you know, the only other thing is I'm just a little bit worried about with the state of the farm system how how long the Brewers can keep this magic up. But like so far, Stearns. Burns has really proven himself to build flexible rosters with very, like, he'll, he'll, he'll turn over every single stone to find talent. So I, I think overall, we got to say he's doing a pretty good job, I think. Um, but I, I think as a fan, you always, like, kind of wonder, too, when you're in the middle, you're like, could they be doing more, right? And so it, it's just kind of like there's some ambivalence there, right? So I, I certainly respect what he's doing, but there's just like a, you know, it, this whole offseason, I'm wondering, like, oh, if they just push in a few more chips, they'd be such a good team, even better than they're already projected to be. Do you think – so I let me – again, I, I like the idea of the team being competitive every year and always being a postseason club, and I, I – I agree with the the general ideas. If you if you just keep making it to the postseason every year, at some point you're going to go on that run. That that gives you maybe that better chance. That being yep. said, they have Christian Yelch. They have one of the best players in baseball. Mm-hmm. They've got an MVP. When you have somebody like that on the roster, and th- th- that's kind of where maybe the the Rays comparison ends. Because I I don't know like as much as I like the Rays, I don't know if they have that single player on their team, especially from a position player standpoint, uh, who is who is as great as Christian Yelich is, is there more pressure on a David Stearns to maybe actually push those chips in a little bit more during this Yelich window than if they were playing and making it to the postseason and everything, but doing it without a guy who's an MVP caliber player? Yeah, I, I think there absolutely is that pressure. I think there's that pressure too. I'll just say from the, the standpoint of the fan base, let's play devil's advocate. We know Mark Atanasio has done it before. You know, he ran... He ran some pretty high payrolls with Doug Melvin, where they were never look. Milwaukee's never going to be, you know, one of the largest payrolls in the league. But there were there were several consecutive seasons where under Doug Melvin, Mark Atanasio pushed forward payrolls that were that were near nearing to the top ten. So they were definitely in the middle of the league. They were definitely top fifteen, and um, so you know you kind of like to see that a little bit more. But like you're just thinking. In general, though, like the other side of it, I know there's a lot of fans who are excited about guys like Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns, and you got to think about it from Stern's point of view. Maybe he's saying internally, "Hey, I already got my guys that that I can rely on in the playoffs. Just no one knows yet, right? Like they've they've never been tested." So I think there's a lot of different ways you can look at this roster, and that's what makes it sometimes frustrating and sometimes really fun. 
The the Atanasio factor, I thought, played into this Justin Turner thing. There was a Ken Rosenthal tweet like a week ago where he mentioned when he talked about Turner, he said Brewers owner Mark Atanasio is intrigued by Justin Turner. I think that's the way he framed it. He didn't mention David Stearns. He mentioned Atanasio. And then we learn about a, a very competitive contract equaling what the Dodgers were willing to give, a major financial investment. That third year is, is another thing. And, and you look at Turner being a SoCal guy. and You think about the California strong stuff that the Brewers have done with Yelich and Braun and Moustakis and everything. Like it, to me, it did feel like maybe it was Atanasio saying, let's expand the payroll if we can get a Justin Turner. And I do think he's got the track record that when when Stearns or, or, or when it was Melvin, when they went to him and said, we, yep. we can get better, but we have to add this amount of payroll – to me, I feel like Atanasio has a pretty good track record of okaying the increased payroll. Oh, yeah, 100%. And, you know, I think Bruce fans are always so quick to be negative on that. Like, they'll look at the Kyle Loesch deal, right? And they'll be like, oh, you know, Atanasio went out and kind of messed things up by getting this overpriced pitcher. You know, that's what some people say. And they're only looking at that last year of that deal, right, where in 2015 – Loesch was just, you know, he, he just lost it. But on the whole, you also got a guy who had two really, really solid years for the Brewers and, and really important points where they could they could try and contend. You know, 2013, they fell short, but there was a lot of excitement on that roster. You know, I went back and looked at it the other day, and I thought, you know, in retrospect, you know, at the time, you're so mad when they fail, right? You're like, oh, you know, like it's just upsetting when when they don't make the playoffs. But in retrospect, you can kind of see the guys on the 2013 club and say, "Oh, you know, if you squint a certain way, you can see what Doug Melvin was trying to do." And so, yeah, I think it's it's to Atanasio's credit that he does stuff like that. And and quite frankly, if you're if you're an owner of a multi, well, maybe they're a billion dollar organization. You know, if you're if you're an owner of a billion dollar franchise. Yeah, you better put your you better put your neck on the line sometimes. I think that's totally totally acceptable for for him to do. So yeah, I, I think that's I, I totally agree with you that that sort of like California strong dynamic was totally there. Are you comfortable with them going into the season with the current roster, specifically when it relates to third base, or do you think uh, they still need to make some sort of move? You know. I got to be honest with you, I I was looking at this, and I've been looking at it over and over and over again. The Brewers were so bad at third base last year that part of me is just like, maybe this is the time you give a young guy a chance. Like, I know there's some people saying Daniel Robertson um, has some interesting things in his batting profile. Take a chance on him. Uh, Luis Urias is the same thing. He's a He's been a defensive wizard. He himself was really, really good at third base last year for, for pretty much kind of having just moved there. And the, the only other thing I want to say, too, is that the Brewers shift so much that if they do if they do these really, really hardcore shifts, like moving their fielders all around the field for advantageous um, like fielding arrangements, you you don't necessarily need a third baseman in the classical sense of the term. You could they're they're a team that can ride the hot bat and just play them anywhere. And and I don't say that flippantly. We saw them do that with um Travis Shaw. We saw them do that with Mike Mustakas. We saw them do that um, you know, really 
in, in one of their better playoff runs um, in, in recent years. So I, I think I think with Orlando Arcia, Luis Urias, uh, Daniel Robertson, you're going to want to look at all those guys and and kind of just let them, let them fall where they may. We know they'll play Orlando Arcia all over the field. They'll play him. You know, there was that one year, uh, I think it was 2019, if I remember it right, where Craig Council said, you know, we kind of put Arcia in in the toughest defensive positions. And so I, I do think with that caveat, they're going to be able to mix and match with these young players a little bit. And, and quite frankly, third base was just such a bad position last year. I got to believe that almost anyone's going to be better if they just give them a chance. I, I, I hate to word it that way, but I, I just think some, you know, it, it's not a bad time to just see if someone might break out. I'm intrigued by Daniel Robertson. And I'll be totally honest about this. I had him on my Brewers weekly show and I really enjoyed talking to him. It was a really good guy. When you have when you have conversations and you really like people, you kind of start to root for him internally. Mm-hmm. So after my conversation with him, he kind of got onto my list of of guys I sort of root for and hope that they find success. But he's somebody who came up as a as a a very highly thought of prospect. He is not broken mm-hmm. through yet. He has openly mentioned people like Justin Turner, like Ben Zobris, like Josh Donaldson, guys who broke through at 27, 28, 29. Like that happens in baseball uh, because if, if he was a I hate to say this, if he didn't have that prospect status coming up, it'd be one thing, but you don't just you don't just assign those rankings willy-nilly. Sometimes guys don't live up yep. to it, but there's a reason they have these rankings. I am very curious if given a, a legit opportunity if he can kind of have, be that late bloomer kind of guy. Yeah, let's dream on that for a minute because I, when I was looking at him, I really, he reminds me of when the Brewers got Jonathan VR. Right when the Brewers got Jonathan VR, that was exciting because VR was this guy where you thought like, oh, you know what? He kind of had that same similar like he was a ranked prospect, lost his shine a little bit, had some on and off years. But if you look at if you looked at what VR did in his years in Houston, he kind of showed he kind of showed good good qualities in each of his years. Like there was something you could kind of squint at and be like, oh, that could turn into a you know, big league role and, and look at 2018 for Daniel Robertson. He had, he had nine home runs and 340 plate appearances. He had 43 walks. Um, his strikeouts were a little bit high 77, but if you're looking at those sorts of things together, um, maybe this is a guy that just didn't put it together after that. You know, maybe, maybe there's still something in there and and he's only going to be in his age 27 season. So, you know, I, I I absolutely love the idea of like just try it out and see what happens. You know, um, especially when you look at this sort of profile, I, I do agree with you. There's there are some reasons to like him, and and I I completely agree with your take on that. Um, the other area that feels like they could still add certainly is at, you, you bring in a veteran starting pitcher. They brought in Jordan Zimmerman on a minor league deal. I still feel like they could maybe sign a guy that you immediately view as kind of that that number three starter. There's a there's a million guy you know veteran free agent starters out there uh, that you can get kind of who Brett Anderson was. Maybe it even is you know Brett Anderson back, whoever it might be. Do you think they'll do that, or do you think they're pretty comfortable with uh, who they have right now? Because they have they have more starters than spots right now, but that doesn't preclude them from signing somebody else. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do my best 
uh, stern speak right here, and you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna kick me off the show. I'm gonna say I bet the Brewers are looking at internal and external options for <laughs> um, for their starting pitching rotation right now. Um, it looks we know. Anything David Stearns does with pitching, it nothing will surprise me. Let's be honest. The guy, this is my favorite thing that he does. And one of the reasons I always usually try and have faith in how he's building a roster, he always builds a run prevention machine. He will always acquire more talent than he needs. And sometimes you're looking at that roster and you think, I don't see how this is going to work. And then wouldn't you know, you know, someone someone gets injured for a couple weeks to start the season. Someone has a slow start and moves to the bullpen, and they unlock them there. And like you had that whole situation with like Wade Miley is a great example. Yeah. Um, maybe you think it's Jordan Zimmerman, the next Wade Miley. Who knows? We have we literally don't know. And so I nothing. I'll, I'll just be honest. I know it's an unsatisfactory answer, but I would say nothing would surprise me um, with with Stern's adding adding um or it wouldn't surprise me if he went deep into the minors and got one of his depth guys like you you just can't predict what this guy's going to do with his pitching staff so nothing nothing would surprise me here i've said this over and over and it's not an original thought there's other people who are saying the same thing at the same time i don't think it's being talked about enough i'm really concerned this year not just for the brewers but across major league baseball these pitchers are going to be asked to be going from pitching 60 games, or appearing, you know, from a 60 game season to a 162 game season. I know they're not appearing in every game, but then the increase in workload this year really concerns me. I wish Major League Baseball oh, yeah. would just put in like a, a 28 or 29 or 30 man roster just for this year to kind of bridge the gap from a very weird year back to when things are normal. Because I just. I am so concerned that especially for teams that are not very aware of it and skipping starts and doing things like that, I'm really concerned that we're going to see a rash of pitcher injuries this year. Yeah, you know, I got to be honest, I haven't I haven't really thought of that um, just because the, the one thing I will say is that the weird thing here too is that you have that black box where in early 2020 you have you really don't have any clue how how much these guys were or were not working. I have to imagine, though, the way the Brewers run things, that you have to imagine they were kind of keeping tabs on that in 2020. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that's a good point. And this is one area, though, where I think the Brewers' really, really aggressive pitching strategies will help them because mm-hmm. how many times are you angry during the season where where they got someone really dealing and he has 62 pitches in the fifth inning and then they pull them, right? Um, you I listen think, to my post game show, <laughs> with, right? With callers, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I see, I see the, the 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 Twitter replies to you too. You know, and, and you, yeah, you're absolutely right that folks call in on that sort of thing. And so maybe this is a if there's one team that's prepared for it, I would say you know what? I bet the Brewers have an idea of how to do it. I would not be surprised to see if they run something like a six man rotation because right now, like. I'm looking at the baseball perspective depth chart right now, and you've got Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, Josh Lindblom, Adrian Hauser, Brent Suter, Eric Lauer, Freddie Peralta. That's right there, honestly. That's a core that'll get you through 162 games. That's not a bad situation to be in, and I think they'll mix and match those guys however they need to. 
Last thing, and we we had at the start of the conversation. Let's finish off with this: the uh, the Picota or Picota, however you want to say it. You're supposed to say Picota. Uh, has the brew? What you know? What it didn't shock me that they had the Brewers at the top because I feel like those rankings have given have viewed more favorably upon the Brewers than maybe just conventional wisdom. What actually surprised me was Cubs number two and Cardinals number three. I feel like. The Cardinals and the Brewers are the top two teams in the Central. If I'm being honest about things, I probably think the Cardinals are a little bit better uh, at this point. But I was really surprised they had the Cardinals at number three and the Cubs at number two, and then the Brewers at number one. Did were you? Mm-hmm. Did anything catch you off guard about the NL Central and how they had the Brewers and how they had the rest of the division as well? Oh yeah, I mean it caught me off guard that they had the Brewers at first because you know I. I got to be honest, all offseason, I thought looking at the whole league, looking at how stacked up a team like the Dodgers and Padres are, right? Like I thought, I thought you could very easily have an uneven league where someone could win the NL Central with 82 games. In fact, I still think that could happen. Um, one feature I want to highlight to folks is baseball perspectives does a really great job of building in um, uncertainty into their projections. And so one stat I want to highlight is that they have the Brewers at a 49% chance of winning the division. They have the Cubs at a 35% chance and they still have the Cardinals at a 10% chance. And so when you look at the uncertainty of it in their, in their um, projections, there's a lot of overlap. Um, and in fact, if you go to baseball perspectives and, and uh, you know, this is something I think that is worth one of the reasons it's worth subscribing to them is that you can look at even like how they distribute their projections. So if you really want to get into the stats, you can see how much these teams overlap. And so I think, I think what baseball perspectives ultimately said about the NL central, if I'm looking at all of their stats is that it's going to be a really, really close division the teams are kind of bunched up a little bit. And they there's just, like, for instance, in the NL West, they have the Dodgers at 85% chance to win the division. Uh, AL West, they have the Astros at 69% chance to win. Uh, other divisions, they have 70%, 80% chance, 60% chance of winning. So the NL Central is the least certain division in their projection system. And I think... You know, Brewers fans shouldn't feel bad about that. We're we're going to be a team that's going to be in the middle of things the whole year. We got we got a deep team. There's a lot of things that are interesting about the club that I think could really drive it drive it to its best case scenario. So I, I think um, I, I think it did really take me by surprise that they thought the Brewers could. You know, they just had them right up there at 88 wins, which is great to see. You know, um, but I, I think I do. I will say anecdotally, though, I, I I agree with you that I think the Cardinals are the bigger second place threat. Um, but that's just um, I kind of hate saying that because I live in Chicago and you know no one. So being you know born in Milwaukee and living in Chicago, I doubly don't like the Cardinals. But so I, I might get some flack at work for saying that. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Um, all right, so people can follow you on Twitter at Spective Wax. Again, you've got the um, you've got the site uh, that you're you had popped after uh, BP Milwaukee went away. You had popped up on Brew Crew Ball every once in a while and things like that. But now you've got uh, your own Medium site uh, going. Just talk about that a little bit and what people can expect. Yeah. So I, 
you know, 2020 was a really rough year and I fell off some writing habits in a really hard way. So I'm trying to get it back. Um, and so I started a writing site. Um, it's, I, I should warn folks, it's not baseball. It's not baseball only. So I write about being an urban planner, which is my day job. Um, it's going to have, I'm, I'm doing some attempts at fantasy basketball stats or working on my league there. I'm doing all sorts of things on it. So um, I would say follow me at Twitter. Um, it's mostly, I try and keep it more towards baseball. Um, and so I, 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 I'm going to try and write a lot more about baseball this year, though. I, I really got to get, get that skill back. Cause you realize like, as soon as you lose that, um, you know, baseball is, a, or sorry, I should say writing, writing is just a, a thing of habit. Right. And as soon as you lose that habit, you know, it, it, there's, there's no innate skill there. So I, I'm really trying to get back and uh, um, get regular writing habits again. So, yeah, I'll be sharing some interesting Brewers stuff, um, hopefully as, as frequently as I can. Yeah, it's funny you say that. So I used to write a lot. I actually I worked in newspapers a little bit very early on in my career. I covered high school sports uh, for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch years and years and years ago. And even when I got to WTMJ, I would write occasionally for the website, and I went away from that. Um, when I worked in minor league baseball, I'd write game recaps after every game. So I used mm-hmm. to write a ton. I haven't written in forever, and WTMJ wants me to start writing again, which is really cool, and I put up a story this past week. I went back and read it. I felt like I was writing like a third grader. Like, I can't mm-hmm. even – it's going to take me a little while, I think, to to get back into it because I read it, and I'm like, I, I used to be a much better writer than what I am right now. So yep. there's some. So I guess for everybody listening, just give me some time. It'll take a moment for me to get back to where I was before. But it's kind of mm-hmm. funny you're right. It does I'm go away. Uh, I said the same thing, you know, I, I worked really closely with Kyle Lesniewski of uh, Brew Crew Ball and now the Milwaukee Milkman um, when he was starting out writing, uh, just because we ended up liking each other a lot. And, and so we would have some messages and emails and stuff. And the one thing I always told him, and it applies to every writer, because he was always like trying to compare himself to me or other writers. And I said, you know, don't do that. I said, writing is writing is a habit. you got to work at it build those habits, work on it every day. And I would say that to every single writer. If someone wants to tweet at me about it, I'll tweet on it all day. I I love talking about this stuff. I spent um, almost a decade as a writing tutor myself. Like you just, you always got to practice, 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 practice. And that's how you get to a point where you're a really good writer. So I think people can use it as the flip side too. that. Like, you know, if you don't think you're an innately great writer, all you got to do is just keep working at it. And, and by by having that habit and reviewing your work and always editing it, you're gonna you're gonna build up that skill really really quickly. So I I would love to have a wholly separate conversation about that sort of thing. Yeah, no, you're right. It's interesting. Well, uh, really appreciate right you taking uh, this time, and uh, we will get you back on uh, again very very soon. Right on, and uh, I I'm excited to see you back in the writing game. So I'm gonna you know I really appreciate you having me on the show again. It's always a pleasure and. Uh, Hopefully we're going to have a lot of great Brewers stuff to talk about. Nicholas Zettel joining us here on Brewers Externing the Podcast, powered by WTMJ Mobile. That is uh, just about going to do it for uh, this week's podcast. Do want to mention uh, the, the schedules, and I say schedules because spring training schedule and also 
the regular season schedule with start times both came out this past week. The spring training schedule was changed. There's going to be no split squad games this year. Uh, the tr- spring training is going to be basically split into two sessions. Session number one is going to be big leaguers and AAA guys. And then they're going to get out of the spring training facilities when the season gets started. And then the lower-level guys are going to come in after that. But simply because there's going to be less people, there's going to be not the opportunity for split-squad games. So no split-squad in spring training this year. The first spring training game for the Brewers, it is scheduled for February 28th when they are going to match up against the White Sox. Uh, And then they are set to open up their season at home this year. That is going to be on Thursday, April 1st. They will play an afternoon game against the Minnesota Twins. They'll then have that Friday off, followed by two more games against the Twins. And all the start times are in there as well. Nothing crazy in terms of the start times. Uh, Brewers will have 640 first pitches. Uh, They're early into the season into uh, April and into May. And then those are going to switch from 640 to 710 first pitches once they get into the middle of June uh, as school's going to be out. June, July, and uh, into August will be 710 first pitch starts for the night games. And then uh, once they get into that second week of September, they will push back to uh, 640. Uh, most everything was a night game last year with no fans in attendance. It was all built for television audiences. So almost every game, not every game, but almost every game last year was a night game. It is not that way this year. It is your conventional schedule where most getaway days are going to be afternoon games and things like that. You can check out all the schedule stuff for yourself if you want to at, uh, at Brewers.com. All right, my appreciation, as always, to uh, to Nicholas Zettel, and we will not wait this long to have him on again. I always enjoy uh, our conversations. For Nick, I'm Matt. Thanks so much for being tuned in. It's Brewers Extra News, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to the home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.